Welcome to Gateway Church Cymru, a church where anyone can be transformed by the story of Jesus. Wherever you find yourself, we pray that you would be encouraged today by God's word. There we are. Are we on? Yes. Well, good morning. It's great to be with you. And uh, we're not usually here at this time of the year, but uh, we were invited to come over to the Bible College of Wales for an event they had there yesterday, an alumni meeting. Uh, celebration of all the uh, previous batches of students and they asked uh, Julia and I to come over and when they said they pay our airfare I said yes all right okay so uh, so we came in on Thursday morning and uh, we were there in Bible College Wales yesterday and we're here today and then we fly back to Malaysia tomorrow uh, so we, it's crazy it's absolutely crazy sh- schedule but um, it was a great we had a great time there with the students yesterday and hearing the testimonies of what God is doing with them since they were in uh, the Bible College of Wales and gone back out to serve God in different places. And so it was joy to be there. If I can just bring you up today, because I know a lot in the church pray for us, and uh, it's been quite an, an eventful thing in, in the world this year, hasn't it? And uh, what happened was I was in Nepal, and when I came out from Nepal, uh, Julia was here when I was in Nepal. In fact, it was on the day you changed the clocks and she forgot. Can you remember? All right, just thought I'd get that dig in there. She posted on Facebook, don't forget to change your clocks, and then forgot to change the clocks. All right, okay. So I was in Nepal, and I came out. I had a tremendous time there teaching for two weeks in the, in the Bible school, and then uh, preaching at the graduation, and then uh, three days at a pastor's conference. Uh, two weeks after I got out of Nepal, an American lady went in to do the same kind of thing, to hold some seminars for pastors, was arrested and deported. And uh, persecution is arising in that country because now they have an anti-conversion law. That is, you are not allowed to convert a Hindu. And I went to one church, and I was praying constantly for all these Hindus who'd just come to know Jesus. Amen. Perfectly illegal now in the country. Uh, But God is doing great things. Then it came back into Malaysia. And, of course, then the uh, bombing in Sri Lanka took place. And... Immediately after that, the anti-terrorist squad in Malaysia, the police anti-terrorist squad, warned all the churches in Malaysia to be on their guard because Islamic State soldiers are now using Malaysia as a safe haven. And so they're in there, and they actually thwarted two um, planned attempts to go and bomb churches in Malaysia this year. So uh, you might say, well, why don't you come home? It's just as bad in London. Yes? Anywhere you go in the world right now, there's this threat of terrorism because it's, uh, it's out of control, really. And so um, I, we don't feel insecure. Uh, we just believe that God is with us. Amen? And I've said this before. As long as Jesus has got a plan for our lives, we're bomb-proof. Yes? Uh, when that's over, <laughs> if you want to take us home by a bomb, I'd prefer to die in my sleep. But... Um, that's where we're at, and so we're, we're flying back, and then I'm going to be in Malaysia until July, then we come home uh, to Wales, strange to say home to Wales, isn't it, for an Englishman, yeah, we come home to Wales, and then in August, we're going to be going to uh, Poland, no, Poland and Bulgaria, then over to the United States, and then I'm going to be going down into Mexico uh, for the first time for many years. I've got a friend down there who's got 200 churches, and he keeps saying, Colin, come back, come, come back. So uh, I think it was in November I said, okay, I surrender. So we're going to be there uh, before we come back home for Christmas. So it's going to be quite an eventful year. Do you like the new trim knee? Just, just in case you're asking, I've lost 19 and a half kilos. That's about 41, 42 pounds. And Julia has actually lost 12 kilos, but proportionately she's lost more than I have. 12 and a half, sorry. Oh, sorry, I forgot the half, right? But proportionately, that's uh, more than I've lost because of uh, her size. She's a midget and I'm not. Okay, but it's always a, a great joy to be back with you and uh, to have the fellowship, even on a bank holiday weekend. Um, it's great to be here and have the fellowship. And what a great time of worship. Yes? And one of the songs I had never heard before, but it was great. 
Wonderful. Okay, I want to come to a, a passage in 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1, it's verses 3 and 4. And I'm going to read it in the Weymouth translation. There's a reason I'm reading it in the Weymouth translation. Uh, 1 Timothy 1, verses 3 and 4. Paul writes to Timothy and says, When I was on my journey to Macedonia, I begged you to remain on in Ephesus, that you might remonstrate with certain persons because of their erroneous teaching and the attention they bestow on mere fables and endless pedigrees, such as lead to controversy rather than to a true stewardship for God, which only exists where there is faith, and I make the same request now. And I read the Weymouth because it uses there the word stewardship, which is exactly the word that is there in the Greek language. If, if you look at this word stewardship, in all of the translations, they've all got different words with which they translate it. And so uh, it can be a bit confusing uh, what is it all about. But that's what I want to talk about this morning is stewardship. Uh, let's just pray one more time. Father, we just thank you that Jesus Christ has done everything that we have been singing about. And we are we're just so grateful, Lord, for the outpouring of his precious blood. We're so grateful that we could have this communion together where we remember that. Week after week, Lord, we just rejoice in what Jesus did at Calvary. And Lord, now we thank you for your word. We thank you that what Jesus said is, is so relevant to us. Sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. We pray your word will have a sanctifying effect upon our lives this morning as we look at it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I just want to open up on this thing of stewardship. Um, we often talk about the church as the body of Christ, church as the bride of Christ, church as a, as a building of God. Uh, but there's a theme uh, in the New Testament. It's also that the church is the household of God. It's the household. Uh, not just family, but all of the servants and everyone who are involved in a, in a wealthy person's household at that time. It would be the household. And this word stewardship is made up of two words, which, uh, if it literally translated, mean the law of the household. The law of the household. And the picture is this. If a, if a person was wealthy, he may have a, a large family, he may have many servants, but he would have one guy who was the steward to oversee how the house functioned. So there would be servants for the kitchen, there would be servants for the cleaning, servants to take care of the children, there would be tutors for the children, lots of other things. But there'd be one guy, the steward, and he would have overall uh, control of what happened in the house. He'd be the administrator. But he would not administer according to his own whim and fancy. He would be given instructions by the owner of the house, by the boss, by the master just as I am in my house with Julia, yes? And all the husbands say amen, okay? Um, so, it, so it, and that's what is called the stewardship, the law of the house. That, those principles given by the owner, given by the master, that his steward would know what he was supposed to do in the affairs of the house, in administering the house. And I want to look at five things this morning that have to do with stewardship. The first one is the, the law of the household in preaching the gospel. Then the second one is the law of the household in promoting grace, and Pastor Luke's already stolen part of my sermon. Right, okay. And then the law of the house in proclaiming the glory. Then the law of the house in preserving the gospel. So one is preaching the gospel, one is preserving the gospel. And then there's the law of the house in practicing the gifts. Okay, those are the five things. I'm going to come back to each one of them. Uh, that's just to give you the roadmap of where we're going. First of all, the law of the house in preaching the gospel. And that's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 16 and 17. Again from the Weymouth translation, which brings out the correct word. 1 Corinthians 9, 16 and 17. If I go on preaching the good news, that is nothing for me to boast of. For the necessity is imposed upon me 
and alas for me if I fail to preach it. And if I preach willingly, I receive my wages, but if against my will, a stewardship has nevertheless been entrusted to me. Paul doesn't mean that he was unwilling, but what he's saying is, it wasn't my uh, women fancy to preach the gospel. There was this law of the house, a stewardship, a law of the household, which has been entrusted to me, just as a steward in the household would get instructions on how to uh, facilitate certain things within the house. Paul says one of those things is preaching the gospel. And so part of the law of the house, the law of the local church, the household of God, is preaching the good news. And in that, those two verses there, 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says several things about preaching the gospel. Number one, preaching the gospel does not produce boasting. If I go on preaching the good news, that's nothing to, for me to boast of. So in other words, if you're a soul winner and you win a lot of people for the Lord, that's nothing to boast of because that's the law of the house that was given to you. And I believe it's still the law of the house, friends. Yes? We're here to win the lost. We're here to win the lost. And I don't know when Jesus is coming back again, but I'm, I'm getting quite sure it's going to be quick. Uh, just watch uh, an interview uh, between an American pastor and Dave Jones, who's the pastor of the, uh, the um, what used to be the Assembly of God in Royston up in, in Yorkshire. And Dave pointed out the fact that most of the Old Testament prophecies about the first coming of Jesus were fulfilled in a one-week period. Well, most of the prophecies concerning the first coming of Jesus were fulfilled in a one-week period. So he said, if we uh, apply the same thing to the second coming, wow, a lot of prophecies still to be fulfilled, but they're going to happen very quickly. Very quickly. And you can see... Uh, what is happening in our world. And so I believe even now it's more imperative that we obey the law of the household in terms of evangelism. And if we do that, there's nothing to boast about. He says, nothing to boast. Then he says, the necessity is imposed upon me. There's an obligation. Because we have the good news and the people out there don't have the good news, there's an obligation for us to go and share that good news with them. And I think more and more, every one of us who are part of the household of God should say, yeah, that's the law of the house. Lord, open up opportunities for me to share Christ. You may have shared Christ with, you know, your neighbors in the past. Well, how about doing it again? Amen? How about saying, okay, the law of the house. Jesus is coming back again. We don't want anyone to perish. How about our family members who don't know Jesus? Time to share with them once again. Because there is an obligation then he says, that tremendous word, alas for me if I fail to preach it. And uh, Adam Clark in his commentary says that word alas has the connotation of a curse being upon it. You could almost say, wow, I'm cursed if I don't do it. But certainly Paul says, uh, for failure to preach the gospel would be a cause for regret. And I don't think I'm the only one here, friends, who at some time had an opportunity to preach the gospel and we failed to do it. And afterwards, we regretted that we did not take the opportunity. Well, let's not let our lives be filled with regret. Uh, let's say, okay, we want to obey the law of the household and share that gospel with people. Preaching the gospel is more than just evangelism. We also preach the gospel of the kingdom. Amen? And uh, we don't have time to go into that, but if I just read 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 and 2. 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 and 2. Uh, this is from the New American Standard Bible. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. In season and out of season. In other words, there is no off season for the preaching of the gospel. You know, like our sporting events, certainly at the time of the year we don't play rugby. Certain time of the year we don't play cricket. Okay? There's an off season. But preaching the gospel, there's no off season. And that includes the whole thing of the kingdom, not just telling people how to get saved. 
So preaching the gospel is a law of the household. That's the first one. Second one is the one that Pastor Luke has stolen from me, but that's okay, I'm going to repeat it. Um, the law of the house in promoting grace. And that's found in Ephesians 3, verse 2. Ephesians 3, verse 2, and this is from the New American Standard Bible, so that we get the same word coming out. If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you. We're going to see that also in Peter's epistle in, in a little while. The stewardship of God's grace. Hallelujah. Thank God for the grace of God. And of course, this word uh, stewardship is there again. Paul was given the responsibility of having oversight or management over the grace of God in the sense that he was to administer it in its publicity. He was given the revelation of the grace of God and the responsibility of properly preaching and teaching it. And there are four aspects of grace which I have preached on in what used to be Abraham and Pentecostal Church before, okay, now Gateway. I have preached it before, but I am not so naive as to believe that you memorize everything I ever preached. Okay, so I'm just going to repeat those things. First of all, of all, in this grace, this law of the house, this stewardship of the grace, is saving grace. Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 10, which we've already heard. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Amen. By grace you have been saved through faith. Everyone say hallelujah. Isn't it great? God didn't save you because you were worth saving. He saved you because he loved to save. Amen. No value in us at all. Entirely the free, unmerited favor of Almighty God. So that's saving grace, and we are stewards of that. So again, that comes back to being stewards of the proclamation of the gospel. To declare to men and women that they can be saved by grace through faith. And then also to reinforce in the life of believers, you are saved by grace through faith. That not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, but good works which God has prepared for us ahead of time. Amen. Then the second aspect of grace is what I call strengthening grace. And that is in Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, verse 32. Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders when he meets up with them on his journey uh, to Jerusalem. Acts 20, verse 32. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. The word of his grace which can build you up. Hallelujah. Strengthening grace. And don't we need that? I constantly need that in my life. Day by day, I need to live by his strength, not by my strength. And it's the grace of God. It's the word of his grace which builds me up. Then there's a third aspect of grace. And it's sanctifying grace. And that's found in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Titus 2, 11 and 12. This is from the NIV again. Titus 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. So that's saving grace. But then it goes on to say in verse 12, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Praise God. So that is sanctifying grace. And sanctifying grace teaches us some negatives. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. I read a good definition of godliness just recently, and it stayed with me. Godliness, quite simply, is to have a relationship with God which makes you like him. Which changes you into his likeness. Amen? Simply that. That's what godliness is. Having a relationship with God 
that transforms you into his likeness. So ungodliness is the opposite. It's having no relationship with God so that you're nothing like God. Your life is messed up. And so this is the sanctifying grace. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness, to reject ungodliness. Um, we're in an age now where you're not supposed to say the negatives. Just be positive about everything. But the grace of God starts out with the negative. Say no to ungodliness and to worldly passions. That is, the things of this world which are so distracting to us as Christians. And they're all around us. And we can get distracted from our walk with God and our relationship with Him by those worldly passions, those desires. But grace, dwelling within us, empowers us to say no to the things of this world. And then, the positives. And to live self-controlled, hallelujah, and upright, and godly lives. Three things. Self-controlled, upright, that is, walking in the right way, and godly lives, which is that godliness we've already defined. And so grace sanctifies us. It sets us apart from the things of this world and the ungodliness that's in it, and it sets us apart unto that self-control and that godliness and that uprightness which we need in our lives. So it's sanctifying grace. The sanctifying effect of grace. And then there's a fourth aspect of grace, and it's what I call serving grace. And that's found in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 9 and 10. Now listen to the words of the Apostle Paul here. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 9 and 10. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am. And don't we love to quote that in isolation? By the grace of God I am what I am. Don't quote it in isolation. Listen to what happens next. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. That is, all the other apostles. I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. If he'd left out that bit about the grace of God, he would be boasting. I worked harder than anybody else in the church. But then goes and says, but it wasn't me. It was the grace of God that was with me. In other words, if we've got the genuine gift, we don't only have saving grace, we don't only have strengthening grace and sanctifying grace, we have this serving grace that enables us to serve God. Hallelujah. And because I believe Jesus is coming back, very soon, I believe that it's going to accelerate. As I'm praying in God's presence day by day, oh God, let things accelerate. Just praying for Israel this morning and uh, reminding God of his promises of restoration of that people. And saying, God, will you accelerate the process? Because they've got a lot of problems to go through yet. The time of Jacob's trouble is going to intensify. So, oh God, will you accelerate it so uh, they... They will turn to you in repentance. And it's this whole thing, I believe, that things are accelerating very quickly towards the end. And so, therefore, it's incumbent upon us to say, wow, I've got the grace of God within me. And the grace of God enables me to work hard. Hallelujah. Amen. To serve. And so we need the church to rise up and say, this is the law of the house. The law of the house is promoting the grace of God. And part of that grace of God is to enable us to serve. Hallelujah. What a great thing to serve God. Uh, those who are on, on Facebook will know every time I preach somewhere, I put the privilege continues. I'll be saying that about Gateway, Abraman, later today or tomorrow. The, the privilege. It's a privilege to serve the living God. It's a privilege to work for Jesus. And... Some of you wrinklies, oh sorry, you older people will remember, there's a work for Jesus only you can do. Did you used to sing that? Amen? Have you forgotten the principle? There's a work for Jesus only you can do. And so it's this grace. So it's the stewardship of God's grace. That's what Paul calls it. This law of the household. 
concerning the grace of God. It's what we do. The next, next aspect of this stewardship is the law of the house in proclaiming glory. And you'll understand what I say when I, I read to you. I'm going to read, first of all, from the NIV to get the whole context. Uh, it's in Colossians 1, 25 to 27. Colossians 1, 25 to 27. Paul says these words, I have become its servant by the commission of God, uh, by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. But verse 25, uh, NIV doesn't do it very well. I just want to read from the New American Standard Bible, that first verse in that context. Of this church, I was made a minister. This is New American Standard. Of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship. Amen. The NIV uses the word, the commission God gave me. But the word there is this oikonomos, again, this stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. And what is that preaching? It's this mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen. So this law of the house, this law of the household is proclaiming the glory. The glory, quite simply, is the character of God. When Moses prayed that prayer uh, in, in Exodus, and he said, oh God, show me your glory. And God says, I'll tell you my name. Amen. Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. That's the glory of God. The same is said of the Lord Jesus uh, in John chapter 1. We beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten Son of God, or the one and only, full of grace and truth. The glory of Jesus was not a bright light that shone around him when he walked down the street. It was the grace and truth that were manifested in his life. The glory of God is the nature of God. And Paul here says, the mystery is this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. In other words, Christ dwelling in you will produce that nature, that character of God within you, transforming you into his image, into his likeness. And the New Testament is full of this teaching about the glory of God. And it, this is the law of the house in proclaiming the glory of God, the stewardship. Now, Paul does it. How does he promote this glory of God? He does it, first of all, by prayer. He deals with it in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 to 19. This whole thing of the glory of God and the indwelling of Christ. Ephesians 3, 16 to 19. He said, I'm praying for you that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. So in that context, according to the riches of his glory, which is his nature, his character, According to Richard Hayes' glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You know, I remember when I first read that as a young Christian. Uh, John Oakley was my pastor, and he told me, when I got saved, he said, now Jesus lives in you. Christ is in your heart. And then I read Paul writing to the Ephesians and saying, I'm praying for you that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I thought... Why is he praying for them? Because he's, talking to, them, he's talking to Christians, if you read the whole epistle. He's writing to Christians. Why is he praying that Christ will dwell in their hearts by faith? Surely, if John Oakley's right, Christ already dwells in our hearts by faith. And then I read Kenneth West's word studies. And he said these words. 
The word that is used here for Christ to dwell within you is a specific word which means to settle down and feel at home. Amen. So Christ dwells in all Christians, but he doesn't feel at home in the hearts of some Christians. Amen. It's Christ will dwell, take up residence, and feel at home. Uh, you know, Julie and I, um, certainly earlier on in our ministry uh, out in Southeast Asia, if I preached in a church, you would stay in a family's home. Nowadays, the churches are a bit wealthier. They tend to put you in a hotel. But in those days, always stay with a family. Now, there's some homes you walk in, and immediately you feel at home. Yeah? Wow, this is nice. Other homes you walk into, and they're very kind and very polite, but you kind of feel, I'm imposing on them. It's, it's not free. Yeah? And that's exactly uh, what uh, Kenneth West says about this word. It means that Christ will take up residence and feel really comfortable in your life. Really feel at home. Take up residence and feel at home so that you will be rooted and grounded in love. Uh, rooted there is agricultural, roots going down. Grounded is architectural, having foundations. And the root and the, uh, the foundation is love. Rooted and grounded in love so that you will be able to comprehend with all the saints the dimensions of the love of Christ and to be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen which is exactly what we were talking about, uh, that this glory is Christ dwelling within you, Christ dwelling within you to produce within your life the glory of God. That is the character of God in our lives, which is the ultimate purpose that when we see him, we shall be like him. Praise God. And so that's the whole purpose. So Paul prays the prayer. Uh, I was just sharing this in a church in Seremban in Malaysia, uh, not, not uh, this message I was preaching on uh, prayer and I was using Paul's prayers to the Ephesians and Colossians as model prayers and I said to them these words if there's someone in your church and they're not very sanctified it's your fault because you're not praying for them enough Amen. Paul says I am praying for you that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened etc Paul is praying for the Ephesian church. And when he prayed, he really believed something was going to happen. And we need to pray more for each other so that this, we can fulfill this law of the household, which is the glory of God, which is revealed in us because of the indwelling of Christ. So it's this law of the household is proclaiming the glory. But not only does Paul pray for it, he also declares it. Galatians 2 and verse 20. Galatians 2 verse 20, NIV. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And that's the expression there, Christ lives in me. I no longer live, Christ lives in me. And so this is the whole concept of his praying for one another, and then believing for one another, and declaring for one another that Christ lives within us. It is the law of the household. It's that by which God governs this household of faith. Then the next aspect of this law of the house is the law of the house in preserving the gospel. We've already talked uh, under the first heading about proclaiming the gospel, but it's now pre preserving the gospel. And it's um, the very first text I quoted. It's one, uh, 1 Timothy 1, verses 3 and 4, going back to it. When I was on my journey to Macedonia, I begged you to remain on in Ephesus that you might remonstrate with certain persons because of their erroneous teaching and the attention they bestow on mere fables and endless pedigrees such as lead to controversy rather than to a true stewardship from God, which only exists where there is faith. And I make the same request now. He's saying, Timothy, there's a stewardship. There's a law of the house. And it's got to do with defending the truth of the gospel. Because there's a, there's a false gospel coming in. There's false teaching coming in. 
And I am very much aware, uh, you know, as we get towards the end of all things, the church is getting bombarded with all kinds of teaching which is not the true gospel of Jesus Christ. You can go and, you know, uh, watch some people on TV and they're going to tell you God wants every one of you to be prosperous and happy all the time. And there's a, there's a very famous preacher who declares this uh, in Singapore. And a friend of ours went and got a, a private interview. This is a huge church, 40,000 people in Singapore. But a friend of ours who's also a pastor in Singapore got an interview with this pastor who declares everything is positive. God has forgiven all your past, present, and future sins, etc. I got an interview with him. And partway through the interview, he said, can I ask you a question? He said, yeah, what is it? He said, do you personally believe that a Christian can suffer and for it to be the will of God for the Christian to suffer? And he said, yes, I do believe that. He said, well, why don't you preach it? And the guy said, it's not my mandate. Well, friends, my mandate is the whole truth. Yes? I want a brother and sister who's going through suffering to know that that suffering is not unusual. It's common to all Christians around the world. We all go through suffering at times. I don't want to, them to get the, uh, the conviction, oh, I, I, it must be because I don't have faith, because if I had faith, I wouldn't be suffering like this. That's absolute nonsense, isn't it? You know it's nonsense. I know it's nonsense. But it's invading the church. And many things like this. Uh, so Paul says uh, to Timothy... There's a stewardship for God. He said, but it's being invaded by false teaching. So we've got to defend part of our stewardship, part of the law of the household is to defend New Testament truth against error. And he talks there about, I want you to remonstrate with certain persons. That word remonstrate is a very strong word. It means to rebuke, strongly rebuke. Yes? Again, you're not supposed to rebuke Christians. Oh, yes, you are. They come with garbage. Tell them it's garbage. Like my wife was in a meeting in Malaysia one time, and this guy was preaching something weird, and she shouted from the front row, Rubbish! <laughs> Serious. At the preacher. I'm very glad she's never shouted that at me so far. <laughs> she's shouted other things, but she's never shouted that. Okay? Uh, and listen what he says. The attention they bestow on mere fables. And actually, the word that he used there for fable means finding meaning in Scripture which was never intended in the first place. Going to a Bible text and making it mean something that it didn't mean in the first place. Uh, like a, a very large church in Malaysia, uh, not too long ago, the senior pastor preached on the parable of the sower, and he said, the seed is your money. Jesus said, the seed is the word of God. Who would you rather believe? Jesus or the pastor of this church? What he was doing was trying to get them to give a big offering. They needed a big offering uh, for their church building program. So he distorted the whole parable of the sower and made it about money instead of the seed of God's word producing fruit. That's distortion, isn't it? That's fables. That's going and finding stuff in the scriptures that's not there. And... Uh, most heresy uh, is in that area. Getting a Bible verse, but making it mean something the opposite. And then, of course, it talks about endless genealogies. Do you know, when I was a young Christian, I once memorized First Chronicles chapter 1. Adam, Seth, Enosh, Jahed, Mahalil. Because I believed all scripture was inspired by God. <laughs> what an idiot. <laughs> it's just a list of names. But the Jews were very adept at doing two things. Number one, trying to prove from those uh, genealogies that they had a pedigree right back to Abraham. That was one thing. But number two, they used to take those names and make them mean something uh, mysterious, mystical. And so in other words, again, distorting the word of God by getting meaning that was never intended to be there. The consequences of false teaching, he says, these things lead to controversy or arguments. Have you ever met a Christian who loves to argue? 
You don't have them in uh, Gateway, do you? They're in all the other churches in the valleys. Some people just like to argue any theological issue. I'm at the stage where now, now where I know what I believe, amen. I'm not going to spend a lot of time arguing with you because you can disagree with me even though you're wrong. That's what I tell Bible college students uh, throughout Malaysia. I always tell them, like, you're, you know, you're free to ask questions. You're free to make a contribution. You can even disagree with me, even though you're wrong. All right? And that's a good attitude. <laughs> Amen. Not, not, we're not here to argue. We're here to defend the truth of God's word. Now, but listen what he says. The contrast is false teaching. In verse 4. We're still in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 4, in the Weymouth. Rather than a true stewardship for God, which only exists where there is faith. Hallelujah. Amen. The law of the house, this principle of the household of God, is that we defend the truth, and wherever the truth is, there is faith. Amen. We believe it. And again, uh, Pastor Luke was referring to that. You must be born again. You must believe uh, what Jesus did upon the cross. And that simple issue of faith. And it's so easy, you know, uh, in, uh, in preaching and teaching to depart from that simple principle of faith. And we've always got to be coming back to it. It's by faith. Yes, it's by grace you are saved through faith. It is by the grace of God that you are strengthened when you receive it by faith. It's by the grace of God that you serve God, but it's when you do it by faith. It's not human energy. It's all based upon faith. Um, 1 Timothy 1 verse 5 gives a similar concept. 1 Timothy 1 verse 5, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart. Amen? So that's following on. The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. The goal of our instruction is love. Everything that we teach should produce love. It comes out of faith, but it should produce love. The goal, the objective, the purpose. This is the law of the house. The purpose of our teaching is to produce love. Why? Because if we have love, we have fulfilled all the commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said those two commandments, they contain it all. But he says that love is out of a pure heart and a good conscience. And again, Pastor Luke stole this, didn't he? Amen? It's okay. I just knew I'd got the right word when he's standing up there talking about what conscience does. Amen? And sincere faith. That is unhypocritical faith so that is the law of the house in preserving the gospel protecting it the final law of the house is in practicing gifts and by practicing I don't mean uh, you know practicing in the sense of uh, not very good at this we're practicing but putting into practice gifts and you'll find that in 1st Peter chapter 4 1st Peter chapter 4 Verses 10 and 11. I'm reading from the NIV because they get uh, this pretty right in this context. 1 Peter 4, verses 10 to 11. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Amen? It goes on to say, verse 11... 1 Peter 4 verse 11. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, which is what Paul has said about the grace of God in his life. So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Okay? So there... Peter talks about being faithful stewards of God's grace by using whatever gift you have received. But I want to go back to the NIV. 1 Peter 4 verse 10, the first three words. Because this is for Gateway Church this morning. Each of you. Amen? You don't get out from under this one. 
each of you. Peter is writing to a group of Christian churches, but he says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received. Hallelujah. This is a law of the house. It's a stewardship. It's a law of the household of God that we shouldn't just let a few people in the church operate gifts. But I'm just going to quickly run through the gifts that are listed. I'm not going to turn to the passages. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 to 11, a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, faith, gifts of healings, miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, speaking in tongues, and interpretation of tongues. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 to 11. Romans 12, verses 6 to 8, prophecy, service, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, and showing mercy. Romans 12, verses 6 to 8, prophecy, service, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, and showing mercy. Ephesians 4, verse 7 onwards, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Amen. That's down in verse 12. Okay? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 to 31. Another list. Apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, gifts of healing, help, helps administration, different kinds of languages. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. Everyone has a hymn, an instruction, a revelation, a tongue, and an interpretation. Wow, there's a lot there. Yes? Now, it's not pick and mix, friends, but it's coming, and Peter says, every one of you, every one of you, each one of you should minister the gifts that you have because it's a stewardship. As stewards of the manifold grace of God or the grace of God in all its forms. So, again, it's got to do with grace. But the law of the household, friends, is that every single Christian should have a gift which they use for the blessing of the body of Christ. We're not all apostles, but we can be helps. We can be an administration. We can show mercy, which uh, that means visiting the sick, taking care of the poor, taking care of the widows. All those things are listed there for us. I'll go through it very quickly because I'm pretty sure in Gateway you know most of these things. But uh, Peter says... Every, each one of you, each of you, each of you. Now, to bring a conclusion to the whole thing, how should we respond to these five things which are the law of the house? Well, I'm going to go back to 1 Peter 4 and verse 10 and 11. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards. Listen to that word, faithful. Luke 12, 42 to 44, Jesus speaking, Luke 12, 42 to 44, and the Lord said, who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their ration at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. Let me read that again first, because it's a second coming scripture. Luke 12, 42 to 44. The Lord said, who then is that faithful and wise steward, whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their rations at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Jesus is coming again. He's going to come and find you doing what you're supposed to be doing. Now notice in 1 Peter 4, faithful stewards. Luke 12, 42, faithful and wise stewards. Final text, 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 and 2. 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 and 2. Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Amen. The primary adjective that is used of stewards is faithful. 
Amen. What does that mean? Two things in faithfulness. The faithful steward, if you give him a job to do, he does it exactly in the way you told him to do it. No detail left out. Amen? That's the law of the house. The faithful steward not only does it exactly and precisely as prescribed, the faithful steward is still doing it years later because that's his stewardship. That's what he's been given to do. And in the context that Jesus gave it, when the master returns, will he find you still faithful, still doing what you're supposed to be doing? And I know here in, in Gateway, there are many of you who are serving God and you have been serving God. Well, don't quit. Jesus is coming. Amen? Don't say, wow, it's so long. In fact, it, that's what Jesus talks about. He talks about the bad steward who says, oh, my master below, uh, is, is long time coming. So he starts to whack the other servants. He treats them brutally. He becomes a tyrant within the household because the master's gone away and he's not come back again. But the faithful steward, when his master returns, is found doing exactly what he was told to do and he keeps on doing it. Praise God. Are you ready? Are you ready for the stewardship of the house? The law of the household of God. We need to respond, each of you. Amen. Each of you. Let's just pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And we want to thank, I want to thank you for all my friends, my brothers and sisters here in Gateway, Lord. I know many have served you in prayer, in witness, in service to each other in spiritual gifts, and they have served you for many years. I pray they will not grow weary in well-doing because in due season, they will reap if they do not faint. I pray for younger members of the congregation, Lord, they'll find that gift which they are to be administering as the faithful stewards, stewards of the grace of God. I pray every one of us here this morning, Lord, will rise up in our generation as the return of Jesus comes closer and closer, we will rise up, Lord, and faithfully fulfill that stewardship which you have entrusted to us in preaching the gospel, in proclaiming the grace of God, in preserving the truth of God, in putting into practice the gifts of God. All those things we've seen this morning, I pray, may you find us faithful when you come again. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Lee. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe. And check out our podcast channel for past episodes. For more content from Gateway and to connect with us, go to gatewaychurchcumry.co.uk. Have a great day.